0: My joy, you are my joy. Good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians. That's where we are. We kicked off a new teaching series last weekend in Philippians, covered two verses. We'll cover a few more verses this morning. Philippians chapter one, we'll look at verses three through eleven. This is our Joy to the World series. Jesus' coming to this earth was good news of great joy. Luke chapter 2 makes that very clear. The uh, angel speaking to the shepherds, they said it's good news of great joy to the degree that we understand the good news. And it goes from our head into our heart is to the degree that we will experience it as outrageous joy in our lives Paul's letter to the church in Philippi teaches us how we can have this good news of great joy in every context of life, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances. The key verse for this uh, teaching series, actually for this book, is uh, Philippians 4.4. You guys know what that verse is? It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Rejoice. And that's really the theme of this book, Rejoicing in the Lord The Joy of the Lord, and today we're looking at Joy in Loneliness. What I find interesting, in spite of Facebook and Twitter and online discussion groups, emails, text messaging, and virtually everyone having a cell phone, uh, loneliness is a major problem in America today, and it's getting worse according to the latest sociological research. Isn't that interesting? In spite of all these different ways that we have of connecting, we're getting more and more lonely, and we're less and less connected. And um, does that surprise anyone, or does that surprise you when I say that? It's, uh, what's interesting about that, so what I wanted to do here, instead of boring you with a bunch of statistics, I thought it would, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. What, what genre of music best reflects this major American problem of loneliness? Country. (laughs) Country music. And so I'm going to pick on all of you, there's about half of us like country, And you can still attend Desert Breeze if you like country. But uh, how many like country? Oh, 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 more than half. Okay, I'm not going to tell you my jokes here. I've got, actually, I don't want to get beat up. You know how country people are. But I have some interesting, it goes along with this whole idea of loneliness and some crazy country song titles. All you've got to do is look at the titles, you can see they're dealing with a whole lot of loneliness. And so here's some uh, country uh, music titles. This one, uh, I've got quite a number of them here, but uh, let me go through the list here. uh, I Keep Forgetting I Forgot About You. I liked you better before I knew you so well. That's a good one. Uh, How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away? I Don't Know Whether to Kill Myself or to Go Bowling. That's strange. I like this one. This was really a long title. It said, I just bought a car from a guy that stole my girl, but the car don't run, so I figure we got an even deal. That's messed up. I still miss you, baby, but my aim's getting better. That's good. Huh? You guys catch it? Do I need to read that one again? Okay. Okay. I'm sure miserable miserable without you, it's like having you here. And these are actually what, uh, country titles. That's why I'm not a country fan. Listen to these titles. I mean, good night. Okay, I was raised on country. My dad's sitting back there. He's a, he's a big country guy. And That's why I don't like country. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. He's right back there. Sorry, Dad. Don't beat me up. Um... Let's see. I've got tears in my ears from lying on my back while I cry over you. If I can't be number one in your life, then number two on you. You guys took you a little bit longer on that one. If I had shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. They get worse. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. She got the ring, and I got the finger. She got the gold mine, and I got the... Oh, see, you guys know that one. You done tore out my heart and stomped that sucker flat. If the phone don't ring, it's me. Some of these don't make any sense, do they? Welcome to country. Okay. Okay. Uh, Thank God and Greyhound, she's gone. I would have wrote you a letter, but I couldn't spell yuck. If you don't leave me alone, I'll go and find someone else who will. My John Deere was breaking your field while your your dear John was breaking my heart. Velcro arms, Teflon heart. If you leave me, can I come too? If love were oil, I'd be a quart low. She made, she made toothpicks out of the timber of my heart. Here's the last one. Okay, I know. There's were, these were a lot here. <laughs> I couldn't pick and choose, so here's the last one. When you leave, walk out backwards, so I'll think you're walking in. That's weird. So loneliness, I mean, it's a major issue. It's a major issue in our society. Take a look at your notes Part of the intro, most relationships are built on proximity, closeness, and affinity, hobbies, interests. You have things in common with others and still leave us lonely because they don't go deep enough. You can be in the same home, same small group, same church with people. You can even have things in common with them, but you've got to take the relationship much deeper than that. Otherwise, it will still leave you lonely because that that relationship's got to go deeper. Paul's answer to loneliness is, is gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. That's, uh, that's actually gospel-centered relationships or Christ-centered relationships. And what's interesting about this study, as we've embarked upon this study last weekend, Paul had neither proximity or nor affinity with the church in Philippi, but he had gospel partnership with this group of people that he's writing to. Gospel partnership is a relationship where Jesus is at the center which means we will treat each other as, as Jesus or as God has treated us. Now, my question for you, just before we pray and we dive into our text, how has God treated us? What well, it tells us in Romans 5.8, it's pretty profound. It says in Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know how amazing that is? While you didn't want to have anything to do with God, He was pursuing you and loving you and reaching out to you. He died for us. The Savior was crushed for you. Now, if that's true while we were his enemies, what, what how must he treat us now that we are his friends? Well, it tells us in Romans 8 31 and 32 if God is for us, who can be? against us he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him freely give us all things if he took care of our worst problem and he did that while we were his enemies how does he relate to us as, as his friends and so what happens is that that so gets a hold of your heart your heart is is smitten by this beauty and the glory and the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ and then that overflows your life. And then you begin to treat people differently, even your enemies. You're able to love your enemies. That sounds, sounds outrageous, but, but it doesn't in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You begin to treat people differently, even people within your own family. Sometimes they are your enemies, your worst enemies. And, and that's why 1 John, the Apostle John says very clearly, don't, don't say you love God when you hate your brother, he says that's, that's a contradiction. How can you say you know God, this God who, who died for us while we were his enemies, and yet you would, you would push off from someone or be hateful towards someone? He, what he's saying is that you're not living in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, So you can see, as we talk about this loneliness, I mean, so much of it has to do with ourselves and and really understanding the gospel and then how we respond to the people in our lives. And so we need a lot of help, don't we? I mean, if you were to look at your life, could you say that you treat people as Christ has treated you? I mean, that would be certainly the mark of someone who's living in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what God wants us to do. So let's pray that we can have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning through His word and so that he can continue the process of changing our hearts. Let's pray. God, uh, we are delighted to be here today. We are amazed by the truth that Jesus, while we were sinners, while we were, didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with you, while we were your enemy, you, you were crushed. You were bludgeoned for us. You loved us so much. And, and God, may that ravish our hearts. And may our hearts be filled with your love to the degree that as we respond to those within our lives, in our lives, within our circle of touch, even our enemies, that we would be able to to respond with with your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, speak to us through your word. Help us to learn how to develop uh, this idea of gospel partnerships that you are at the center of our lives and of our relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said. Amen. Let's talk about this. I'm going to give you six things as it relates to gospel partnership. Gospel partnership is these six things we're going to draw from this text. Let me read completely through the text, and then we'll go through and unpack it. Starting at verse 3, this is the Apostle Paul. He pins to the church in Philippi under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, all both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Six things as it relates to gospel partnership. Here's the first one, number one. Gospel partnership is memory-making. Notice in verse 3, he says, I want, I, I thank my God every time I remember you. We talked about it. We alluded to it. We didn't read it. I encourage you to read it and go through your growing notes this last week. But the 16th chapter tells us how the Apostle Paul planted this church in Philippi. And you guys remember the story? Familiar with the story? Pretty interesting. Certainly they have memories that they could draw upon the dramatic events of God's intervention and God, the demonstration of God's power in their behalf and the starting of this, uh, this little church in this Roman colony. Uh, called Philippi and it was quite interesting when he showed up there they didn't have a synagogue it required at least ten uh, ten Jews Jewish men actually to have a synagogue and there wasn't enough and so he went out to the place where typically people would gather for prayer which was the riverside he met a woman by the name of Lydia and uh, she was a very wealthy woman a number of other ladies there and, uh, and Paul and his companions uh, preached the gospel to them they were converted Uh, Lydia invited them into their home as kind of a base. And each day when they would go out for prayer, uh, there was a demon-possessed girl uh, that would kind of follow them and yelling out some pretty crazy things to them. And actually, it it got on Paul's nerves. In fact, let me read just a, a little bit of the text here, verse 16 of chapter 16. And we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Very, Probably very in a sardonic, sarcastic tone. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace, and then it goes on. It tells about how they beat them. They beat them with sticks and then they threw them into prison and put them in stocks. And we know that at about midnight, what was Paul and Silas doing? They were praising God. It was just, it's amazing where we get this whole idea uh, of joy. And you can see why he would pin this letter that's just filled up with joy. Here he's demonstrating this in the, in the worst possible scenario. They're celebrating God's goodness, even in the midst of that. And uh, all the other cellmates in there are astonished. And then what happens next? There's this crazy earthquake and it looks like they can escape and the jailer finds out that they're about to escape and he's, he wants to do what? He wants to commit suicide. He's going to kill himself because he knows he's going to get killed anyway if they leave. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. And then he falls at Paul's, you know, at his feet and says, hey, I want to know this God that you guys know. And so him and his whole home, his whole household comes to know Jesus. And that's the beginning of the church of Philippi. It's a phenomenal story. And so certainly when, when we talk about this idea of gospel partnership as memory-making, I mean, they could recall the, the dramatic events that took place. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Probably going through his head some of the, the events of what took place. And, and that's what I have found as it relates to my own life. Some of my fondest memories are growing up in church. You know, going to Sunday school, church, the church potlucks, youth camp through the summer... Just a blast. I mean, I, I have some really fond memories. How many grew up in church and have fond memories growing up in church? Okay, yeah. Unbelievable. And, and when I look back over the history of desert let me just give you a quick run-through of our history. Man, I have just unbelievable fond memories of what God has done. As I've, I've had that front row kind of seat to see the miraculous take place. Truly, you, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Man, have we seen a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ here. I mean, it's just, it is totally amazing. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we started in my home back in 1991, uh, on September 1991, and it was just 16 of us. And uh, it was three couples and our kids, and, and the Lord began to add to our number, almost kind of like weekly. And we grew to about 40. And we moved into the Boys Club at 4730 West Grover's and moved in there. That opened up, became available for us. And we actually launched the church. Really, our birth date is uh, 92, Easter 92. And so we, we moved into the Boys Club and we grew while we were there. Grew to about 150 to 200. It was kind of an interesting, very unique environment. It was kind of stinky. You know, it was a club, Boys Club, you know. And we had to go in and clean it up. And uh, we'd kind of work together. But I, what was kind of funny about it is that we grew in spite of how difficult it was and how, what a kind of a harsh environment because it did kind of have an odor when people would walk in. We'd say, welcome to Desert Breeze, hey. And, uh, and we'd try to put all the nice smelling stuff. It still didn't do much good. And then what was interesting is it didn't have a heater in the wintertime. There, there was a winter or two that we went through that you could actually, while I was preaching or teaching, you could see the breath of people out there, out in the audience. And then in the summertime... What was interesting also was that they had swamp coolers that didn't work. And swamp coolers are pathetic anyway, okay? But when they don't work, it's even worse. And I could look out over the audience and there would be, you know, perspiration. I remember a newcomer coming one time. I'm standing there talking to them. I could see the perspiration on their face, you know, just running down. I thought, oh, they're probably not going to stay. And they ended up staying. And it was interesting how God just worked beyond that and touched people's lives, because certainly the environment wasn't the most conducive, but there was a sense of, of community there, a sense of community that drew people. What we would do too is that after we would uh, do our worship time is that we'd take a break for about 15, 20 minutes for coffee and bagels and then for pickup basketball games. It's really crazy, but there would be kids and they would play and then we'd say, okay, come back together. We're going we're gonna to now study the Bible together. So it was a fun environment. We recognized that we probably couldn't grow beyond 200. And that, at that time, Dondi and I, we sat down and we felt like, hey, we need to make a move. I did a little investigating and some research, talked to other pastors. And they said, yeah, you probably need to get your own facility. And so we, we thought, okay, let's, let's do it. And, and it was unbelievable how much it was going to cost us. And so we, we decided to move into the Rose Garden Business Center. It was going to cost us 5000 a month for that. And we were barely going to even make that. And so Dondi and I sat down with our families, our wives, and said, hey, uh, this is going to be tight. We really believe that God is in, in this. We really believe that. But but if something happens, you know, we're going to all have to work and we'll probably lose everything we've got and, uh, and we'll uh, probably all have to get extra jobs and whatever to pull this off. And so we get over there and the first few weeks we started meeting in the Rose Garden Business Center, Dondi and I would run back to the box because we never have passed the plate and we'd run back to the box to count to make sure we had enough to cover the cover the cost. We were a little bit obsessive, compulsive, yeah, wondering, oh, do we have enough? Which one of us is going to have to get a second job this week, you know, or whatever? And we didn't have anybody on staff. We we're just trying to pay for the facility so we could have a place to meet. And it was amazing to see God's hand on that little little congregation as God continued to add to our numbers. Shortly thereafter, we had to go to double services there, and, and after that, we grew out of that. And then we moved over to the 17th Avenue and Bell Road facility, an old burnt-out <laughs> nightclub. And we built that out just on sweat equity. A lot of people just jumped in, volunteered, and it was just so cool to see what God was doing there. In fact, this is what was so amazing, and these are my, some of my fond memories of that place, is that people that used to dance there and party there and get drunk there came back there and got saved there. I mean, <laughs> it's totally amazing. It's amazing. And... Um, and so, I mean, we were, we were always blown away at that because people would say, the place, the last uh, name of the place was Sensations. Interesting. And then we come in there and, and start a church right there in the midst. And so it was really interesting to see God's uh, work in the midst of that. And then we stayed there for a number of years. We tried to buy it. Uh, he wanted us to buy the hotel. And we looked around and we just thought it was just, it's too expensive. We didn't want to keep putting our money out in leased facility. And now, actually, now the market's dropped substantially, so it's a little bit of a better deal. And we're certainly looking currently at either purchasing or moving on or, or whatever, but we moved here so that we could continue to do what we, wanted, we always wanted to do, is invest money back into ministry and into people and not have major overhead. And so we've been here for about six years and have seen some pretty phenomenal things. And, and probably the most memorable of all of this uh, is is that we've seen consistently, like we said, as as people come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and literally the hundreds of people every year, consistently, we had a 10-year span there where we were baptizing at least 100 people a year. We had one year where we baptized over 120 people that one year, and I was just blown away at God's, God's grace upon us. I'm kind of curious here, how many uh, are still here with us to go all the way back to my home and in the, in the boys' club days? Show of hands, show of hands. Oh my goodness, look at this. See, these folks are, these folks, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. In fact, I had all of you guys on the list here. I started writing down the people that are still with us, and you guys were all on my list. That is so cool. I remember the McGowans when they came in, and they had me come over to their house and, and dedicate their, their firstborn. And I've had a chance to dedicate all of them now, but their firstborn now is high school. About, yeah, 17. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Ken and Joanne. Uh, have hung out with us since the Boys Club days, uh, Lowell and Shereen, uh, and the Sandovals. Unbelievable. How many uh, started with us in the Rose Garden? Rose Garden. Show of hands. Rose Garden Business Center. Okay, cool. Right on. Right on. Those were great days. How many started in the uh, nightclub? And you came thinking it was still a nightclub? <laughs> yeah. See, it's, 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 there's still a lot. How many have started coming since we've been here? Yeah, cool. Right on. Right on. Okay, here's, a, here's another question. How many, how many have gotten baptized, got baptized here? Show of hands. Show of hands. Woo! Look at that. Yeah, right on. Praise God. Praise God. I mean, fond memories. And within the first five years of this church, I was still working with Phoenix Fire. It wasn't uncommon for me to teach two messages and then hop in my car and head down to Station 10 and then work out my 24-hour shift there. And so we actually hired an administrator initially, to kind of organize, and then it, this church got uh, too big too fast. I mean, just uh, the work of God here was so significant that, uh, that I had to make the move. And it, it was kind of a scary move, but I'll tell you what, I haven't looked back. I have not looked back, and I've seen some phenomenal things. It's been an amazing ride of God's grace and God's goodness. Praise God. Fond memories. Gospel partnership brings fond memories. I was just thinking Laura here. We did a baptism over at uh, the Blackburns house. At the Blackburn's house, and at the end of baptism, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll give an invitation for anyone that, would, that heard the, the gospel that wants to make a confession of faith. And she got baptized, cowboy boots and all. Those are the boots? Yeah. She goes, I want to get baptized. And she goes, I, I said, Well, okay, and take your boots off. And she goes, Nope. I'm, and she jumped right into the water. I mean, she was so, so anxious to make that public declaration of her faith in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. It's awesome. Memory-making. Gospel partnership is memory-making. I still think the best is yet to come for Desert Breeze. I'm convinced of that. I think we're just... I think the best is yet to come. God's got great things in store for us. Here's the next one. It's joy-generating. Joy-generating. Notice what he says in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy... Now, I gave you a lot of different verses as it relates to that. But uh, Romans 12, it says, Rejoice with those that rejoice and grieve with those that grieve. And, And I'm convinced that shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. In other words, it's only when I share life's experiences with others that I can enjoy or endure them to the greatest Advantage. Let me define for you joy. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about this uh, really in depth, this whole idea of joy, and we made this distinction between joy and happiness. In fact, this is what I'm going to have you do. This is pop quiz time, okay? So I want you to turn to the folks sitting next to you, only if you were here last week, and if you're sitting around people that were here with you, they can tell you the answer to this. What's the difference between joy and happiness as we made that distinction? Real quick, do that. Okay, you guys getting that? what's the difference? So, so happiness is based on what? It's on circumstances. People think circumstances are based on happenings. It's based on, it's external, it's temporal, it's very self-centered. Joy is based on Jesus being in Christ. It's internal, it's eternal, and it's God-centered. The definition that we were using this last weekend for joy is that it is a buoyancy-based On the pleasures we find in the eternal, in the eternal what? You guys remember? The eternal privileges we have in God. So can life push you down? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It can get you way down, but it can't keep you down because of this buoyancy that you have in your life. Now, by the way, joy is not a denial of reality. It's not skippity-doo-dah, skippity-day, just ignore all the, you know, all the stuff that's going on in your life. It's not an ignoring of that, but it's in the midst of your reality is embracing who Christ is. It's that buoyancy in your life based on the pleasure you find in the eternal privileges you have in God. It is, and here's another definition we used, it is a deep, durable delight in the beauty, glory, splendor of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. And so when you live in the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it's relational. It gives you that buoyancy in your life. By the way, it's not based on your temperament either. A lot of times we think of joy as, you know, it's temperament driven, but it's not. You can be an extrovert and introvert and still have and have joy, what is the opposite of joy? You guys remember that the opposite of joy would be hopelessness or despair. notice i didn 't say sorrow you 're going to have sorrow in this world. You will grieve the hits and the losses, but you 're not going to be in despair because you have hope in the lord jesus christ that 's the opposite. What would be the counterfeit the counterfeit of joy? by the way, someone put a counterfeit twenty dollar bill a couple of weeks ago in the offering. And uh, we're going to try to find out who the counterfeiter is among us. Now, I, actually, you probably didn't even know it, but it was kind of interesting when we took it to the bank and uh, the the teller uh, was going through the money and she's so familiar with the real stuff, she was able to identify, oh, that's counterfeit. Ooh. And so it was kind of interesting. So we're, we're watching you. <laughs> actually, you probably didn't even know you, that you did it. But if you got any more of those, could you share? Um, um, but but the more, f- the more you are with uh, the real, the easier it is to identify the counterfeit. And the counterfeit for joy would be elation in the gifts as opposed to the gift giver. See, our, our joy comes from Jesus. It's in Jesus. Not in what we get from Him, but being with Him. That we have Him in our lives. And, and listen... Regardless of what goes down in your life, isn't that true? That if you have Him and you understand the eternal privileges you have through Jesus Christ, that's pretty amazing. If God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, that's it. That's a fact. That's the reality of the gospel. And so as he's writing this, he's talking about this this amazing joy that they share in Jesus. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. It's joy generating and hanging out with others. It's it's joy generating. Uh, I like to kind of surf the internet to different church sites and I'll look at different church sites here in the valley and not too long ago, it was about a year ago, I was surfing and I came to a, a mega church here in the valley and they happened to be teaching on Philippians. I thought, oh, maybe I'll, we'll be teaching. on. It. I'm just kind of curious to see what this guy has to say. And, and the guy was teaching on this very text And he's talking to his congregation and this is what he was saying. He was saying to them, Hey, when you guys come to church, we want you guys to come and we want you to come like you're going to a like a Cardinals game or a diamondbacks game. We want you to have excitement and enthusiasm and high five each other and bring your friends and 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 you know, have that exhilaration that comes when going to a game. And I started thinking about that for a minute and I thought, I disagree. Why would you lower the bar? And, hey, by the way, uh, I, I went to a Suns game here a couple weeks ago, and they handed these out. And uh, standing next to my wife and whoever was sitting next to me, they hit me right in the face each time they swing these things. And that really ticked me off. Hey, get those things down. Come on, I'm trying to watch the game. No, I didn't bother me. But there was a lot of exhilaration celebration in that game. It's fun. I think that you can worship God through a Suns game. I, I really do. I think you can worship God in a lot of different ways. You've got to know what it means to worship God. You can certainly exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things more than the Creator and make the sun's game more, more important to you than anything else. I don't think that you can uh, worship God through watching the sun's dancers through your binoculars. And I, I'd, you know, turned my head when they went on there. It was pretty lewd, pretty crude pretty perverted actually because they're the age of my daughter and so which is kind of interesting and certainly if you have a if you struggle with those things those those would be one of those environments you'd want to hang not hang out but stay away from but it's interesting i mean and i think that there's a lot of things you do and i'm not i'm not down on any of that i think that's cool I, and i've gone to diamondback games and Suns games. by the way diamondback games aren't near as exhilarating it's like watching grass grow but uh but, I mean, but you have a lot of fun, and I think that the fun that, that Nance and I had was just hanging out with the people that we were with at these different games. And so, certainly, I've been to, to different places. I've been to Diamondback games, Suns games, Cardinal games, Coyote games. I've been to all of those. And, and this is what I, I believe. And I believe that when that guy was saying that, I think that he was lowering the bar. Because... Let me explain myself. All the Diamondback games, Sun games, Cardinal games, Coyota games combined throughout your lifetime can't compare to the excitement, exhilaration, energy, enthusiasm that is found in an encounter with the living God in the company of friends. Nothing compares to that. Absolutely nothing. And when he said that, I said, why would you lower the bar, man? Because I would, there's, there's not a better place I would like to be than to be with friends celebrating the goodness and the joy of God there's nothing quite like that and I was also thinking too all the wins of your favorite team if you take your favorite team from now on and they win every game if it's the Cardinals good luck but uh, and they win every game from this point on all the way into the Super Bowl and they do that for the next 10-20 years all the wins of your favorite team cannot come close in a million years to what Jesus Christ won for us on the cross the reality of which should send you through the ceiling with celebration for all eternity. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you and are you living in the reality of that? It's amazing. It is breathtaking. It is captivating. And, uh, and all those things are fun. There's a, there's a lot of cool things out there to do. And we, can, we lose our focus a lot, but there is a joy. There is a deep abiding joy, a deep durable delight that's found in the beauty, the glory, the splendor of Jesus in his person, who he is and what he's done that ruins you for anything else. <laughs> I like going to songs. I like all that, but let me tell you something. It ain't nothing compared to knowing Jesus, walking with him and celebrating his goodness and hanging out with friends. It is gospel partnership is memory-making, joy-generating. It is also ministry-multiplying. Look at what he says in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's where we get this idea of gospel partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Philippians is a uh, is a thank you letter, written by Paul while he is in uh, under house arrest. He's chained to a Praetorian guard, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. He can't even go to the bathroom without a guard being right there. Okay, so I mean, really a, a bad scenario here, and he's writing this thank you letter to the church in Philippi for their support. And he's known them, and he planted this church about 11 years previous to this. And so, look, let me read the verse again. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so they have been supporting him and loving him. And we know the context of the book and the history here is that they sent this guy by the name of Epaphroditus with finances and resources to, to support Paul. And we also know, and we'll get a chance as we read through the book, is that Epaphroditus got really, really sick and almost died. And then when he got better, Paul penned this letter and gave it to Epaphroditus and he's going back to the, the church there in Philippi just to kind of let them know everything's cool and Epaphroditus is better and, and all of that. But he's writing this letter and it's a thank you note, it's a thank you letter of, of their, the support that they have provided him in ministry. And here's what's amazing, and we'll talk more about it, we're going to talk next week about uh, joy and suffering. But, uh, but Paul's ministry, when you look at Paul's ministry and the, and the impact that he even continues to have to this very day, as we read this letter that was penned, it was really supported through churches, local churches like Philippi. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and there was no way that he would have had that, that experience, that experience. Uh, that that impact, if it hadn't have been this uh, ministry multiplication that took place as a result of their, their supporting him and encouraging him and loving him. Do I hear music in here. Or is it just me, me and the Lord? Where I, I can hear the Lord. It's like, what is that? It was one the, I had one of those ADD moments just right then. I was just like, what the heck? What is that? Turn your phones off. What is it over here? Oh, oh she's. Is she singing? Oh, she's humming. She's trying to compete with me over there. Okay. That's okay. Now that I know what it is, it's a little sweet, sweet girl. Ministry multiplying. Uh, Desert Breeze outgrew me uh, when we moved from my home into the boys club. And most of what you see, when you see this here, what we do here on the weekend service, this is the tip of the iceberg. Most of what gets done is just through the the hundreds of ministry opportunities that we have here in the church. I mean, there's just so much more that happens week in and week out. There's hardly a day that goes by that somebody's life isn't being eternally impacted in some way or another through the many, many ministries here. And um, I'm I'm kind of the, the mouth, I guess you might say, here at Desert Breeze. But there's so much more that goes on here at Desert Breeze, and, and I've, I really believe, and a lot of times people kind of, uh, once they start hanging out with us, they begin to understand why we don't pass the plate, and it's because, like I said last week, is that we want to eliminate uh, the misconception that the church is about, about wanting to get your money, although I, I believe that there are churches that are like that, and they'll, they'll beat the sheep to get the money, and, uh, and there are ministries that do that. I understand that, and you need to be discerning. But that's not, not our heart, that's not our intention, that's why we don't pass the plate. But we want you to learn to give for the right reason. And this, and, and this is, once again, the right reason. That we believe in, you know, the 5G process that we talk about through discipleship. We've, we've defined this kind of process by which discipleship happens when people come to faith in Jesus. And the first G is a genuine Christian. That's someone who's made a commitment to Christ and to a church family, and they, and they make that public through water baptism. We've seen a lot of people do that. But there's something that happens in your heart when you... When you're introduced to Jesus, you get to know Him. You want to grow in your relationship with Him. You want to increase your capacity to experience more of Him. And, and that's the second G. That's the growing Christian. And so you begin to develop disciplines in your life. One of those uh, would be reading the Bible, prayer, personal time, and then also one that we really emphasize, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in just a bit. But it's uh, small groups, getting involved with other Christians that can help to encourage you in your faith in Jesus Christ. But, but when you are, if you're walking with God, if you're a genuine Christian, I believe that it's natural and normal for you to be a growing Christian. And if you're a genuine and a growing Christian, it's natural and normal for you to be a, a giving Christian. I, I just believe it flows from your life. I believe that people who know the living God and are filling their lives up with all of who He is, it's natural and normal for them to, uh, to begin to establish a disparity between where they could live where they could live and where they actually live and with that margin leveraging that for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ you guys tracking with me on that does that make sense in other words you're doing everything you're giving all that you can give because you you believe that the message of Jesus is critical that we get this out to the world and so you do that by the giving of your, your time, your talents, and your treasure, your finances. And so it's ministry multiplying. It's really interesting when you look through Scripture with, as it relates to that. And I, the verses that I put down, I actually put chapters, and those are, it's defining all the different gifts. Matthew 18 actually says that where two or more are gathered in my name there, am I in the midst? And so there's this idea of, of synergy Are you familiar with the idea of synergy, the word synergy? If you come from a medical background like I did as a medic, synergy is the output is greater than the sum of the parts. There's this multiplication. It's not 1 plus 1 equals 2. It's 1 plus 1 equals 5 or 10 or 20. You get a few folks together, and God is at the center of that gospel partnership. There's amazing things that happen as a result of that. Uh, Kind of like the principle, ducks flying V formation adds 71% to their flying. Isn't that amazing? Ducks flying in a V formation add 71% to their flying. So there's this synergy that takes place as we we bring our resources together. I like the story of C.S. Lewis and his circle of friends. It's in his book Four Loves. He had a circle of friends, Ronald and Charles, two other guys that they they had this real close friendship. Ronald was actually J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. And uh, With Charles' death, C.S. Lewis thought he would have more of Ronald, kind of selfishly thinking, well, now I've got more of Ronald to myself and uh, I don't have to share him with with Charles. But in reality, he got less of Ronald. And and I quote, this is what C.S. Lewis said, Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. And what he's saying here is, if that's true in the finite, it is even more true in the infinite as it relates to God, that you cannot know God, grow in God, win the world for God apart from community. There are aspects of God's nature and character that you will never see and never experience all by yourself out in the wilderness, you know, doing doing the relationship just with you and God alone. There is a community dynamic that takes place. The Bible emphasizes this over and over again. It's called fellowship, and it's not just a luxury. It is a necessity for your spiritual, psychological well-being. You need the body of Christ. You need the local church family. In fact, when you study throughout the New Testament you see this idea, ecclesia, the church, is used some 110 times and 92 times it's talking about a local church family like Desert Breeze. So it really emphasizes the importance of being a part of a, a local family. And the reason for that is obviously it's ministry multiplying. There's stuff that takes place as a result of that in our lives, through our lives, and in the community. So here's a... Here's a convicting question for you if everyone gave to desert breeze as you give of your time talent and treasure where would we be as a church when we have to lock the doors i'm not saying that is trying to guilt you into giving it's not it's not fear pride motivation don't go there where are you in your walk with god because if you're healthy if you're healthy and you're putting your heart under the fountain of His love regularly and filling up, it'll be natural and normal for you to be, begin to look at ways that you can leverage the resources that He's given you to benefit the kingdom of God. That's just normal. So what you have to do is you've got to get back to, are you, are you truly a Christian? Genuine? Are you growing? Because if you're not genuine, obviously you're not going to be giving. You, you'll be giving out of the wrong reason. Or if you're not growing, certainly you're not going to be giving. But would this church, I mean, if everyone gave just like you, would we be able to pay cash for our next building? Or, or would we have to close the doors next week? If everyone gave of their time, like you know, I was even thinking about this whole idea of 10% we were talking about in our staff this last week, and we were talking about if people gave 10% of their time, 10% of, of your time would be 14 hours a week. So how much of your time do you give to the church? Those are good questions to ask, really, to kind of tell you, especially if you're spending you know, 20 hours a week watching TV or doing a lot of other needless things. I'm not against TV, watching or anything, things, but when that becomes a higher priority than the things of God, obviously, I mean, you just have to look at your heart. You can see where your values are, regardless of what you say, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's easily, easily said. That's a said faith, but it's not a real faith. You're a practical atheist is what you are, to be quite honest with you. Until that really gets deep down into your heart. And so he's talking to these people who have supported him from the first day until now. They were consistent. They were diligent. They did it in a a really joyful kind of a way. They sent this Ephaphroditus to be there with him while he was in prison and support him. And so we know that gospel partnership is memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying. And then it's also confidence-creating. Now we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. Notice what he says here in verse 6, and this is a great memory verse. How many have ever memorized verse 6 where it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody? That's a great verse. I mean, sometimes I get really frustrated, like, am I going to ever change? I am so jacked up. What in the world, God, did you kind of forget about me? And that verse reminds you, no, no, he's going to continue that work. He's going to keep doing that work. And that's what Paul, he was so involved in their lives, he knew them and he's saying, hey, I see what God's doing. He's doing some wonderful things. Don't give up. Don't quit. And it's, I mean, it's, it's good encouragement. In fact, I give you some cross-references here. He says in James 5, 9, as it relates to the fellowship and community, he says, don't grumble against each other. James 5, 9. And then he also says in Romans twelve three through 8, it says, confirm gifts in one another. And then in uh, Romans 12.10, it says honor one another. Now, as you guys know, and I already kind of mentioned it, I alluded to it, so genuine, that's G1, G2 is, is growing, and there's a few statements that we say around here. Let's just see if you can complete these sentences as I say these statements. Uh, life change happens best in, in small groups. Yeah, this is the catalyst for life change. This will get you started, but if you really want to change, you need to be plugged into a small group. You need to be across the table with a few friends who love you and support you and can ask you hard questions. Otherwise, you will not grow. Here's another statement. Uh, At Desert Breeze, Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become codependent. And uh, Okay, that's a joke. But, uh, But yeah, we become family. Can you say that about people in this church, that they're really family? In fact, they're even closer than my biological family and, and that's really you can have that you need that you need those kind of relationships it's important for us t- uh, to have those I, I heard this story about these four guys that had been meeting regularly and they wanted to take uh, their relationship to a new level and of course we know that v- vulnerability begets vulnerability in relationships so you got to start opening up your heart a little bit you got to go a little bit deeper and uh, one guy kind of leading the group uh, just said, "You know what? I really struggle with materialism. It just seems that I have all sorts of impulsive compulsive spending habits, and that 's why we 're having financial problems in my home right now is because of this problem and Then he finished sharing, and then the next guy shared and said, "Well, I have a problem with lust. It seems like man I, I rubberneck every you know gal that comes in to our office i 'm always kind of watching and looking, and I just have this major problem that 's creating major problems in my marriage. Third guy." said well I struggle with uh, I struggle with anger and it doesn't take me much man it seems to build up and then I just blow up and then I do some pretty crazy things and, and uh, man I need to get over that and then the, the fourth guy it was his turn and it was kind of quiet and they were all looking at him waiting for him to respond and, and finally he did respond and he said I struggle with gossip and I can hardly wait to get out of here to tell everybody <laughs> what I just heard and so I understand that when we get in those settings, that's the exact reason why you, oftentimes we don't want to share with others is because we're so like, uh, is this a safe place? And yeah, you need to have a safe place. There needs to be confidentiality. There's no doubt about it. But let me tell you something. I, I share quite regularly. Would you guys agree that I'm pretty, pretty transparent? I unrobe regular. I probably shouldn't say that. I don't unrobe regularly. <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> I don't do that. But... Uh, I'm very transparent, and I think sometimes it, it's, it makes people feel a little uncomfortable. And yeah, I've had people use that against me, some of the things in the honesty. But here's the thing, and let me read to you a couple uh, quotes from John Ortberg's book, Everyone is normal until you get to know them. Listen to what he says. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. That's a, that's a profound statement. In other words... People can't really love you if all you're doing is wearing a mask. They're loving your mask, and deep down inside your heart, you know that it's not you. And if you're constantly kind of putting up a pretense all the time, that's why we are so lonely oftentimes. You can only be loved to the degree you're known. Only as you open up your heart and you share what's going on deep inside of you, can you be known and loved to that degree. People can't touch that deep part in you if you don't take the mask off and open up. Here's another thing that he said the irony of masks is that although we wear them to make other people think well of us, they are drawn to us only when we take them off. And, then, and here's, here's the basis of my authenticity, transparency. At least I try to. I'm, I'm not always completely honest and still working on it in my own life and the pretense that I struggle with in my own life. But this is, this is the basis of being more transparent in my own life and in my groups. I'm, I'm in four different groups. So if if you wonder if we as pastors and leaders do groups, we do. I'm, I'm in four different groups that I'm a part of. One's just a group of two guys, just me and the other guy that I get together with regularly. I get together with the pastors here. We do a group, then we do a staff group. And then, of course, with the elders, that's a group of support and accountability here. And so there's. if I want to be loved at that deeper level, there's got to be that openness and honesty. But here's the basis of, of, of that. Is, this is what Ortberg says. Since we have the assurance of God's love no matter what, we can do a very bold thing. We don't have to pretend to be more radiant than we really are. We can live authentic lives. Because our identity is not based on what the peasants say around us. It's because of what the King has once and for all said about us and His love for us. And it gives us the confidence and the courage so that we can be open and honest with one another. If you're more concerned about what others think of you than what God thinks of you, then you won't be authentic. And uh, and so there's this confidence creating. So my question for you, do you have a few folks in your life? And, and, and you need to be doing this, obviously, in your marriage relationship. But... But you have people in your life that come alongside of you. And as I put on my notes, that they, can, they identify that fruit, gifts, and sacrifices are to be confirmed and affirmed in community. In other words, someone can come alongside of you and say, hey, man, I can see that you're really changing in this area of your life. You used to get really stressed out, and now I see a re- really the peace of God in your life. And of course, you know, when my wife has said that to me, or others have said that to me, in my groups, it's always like, yeah, really? Do you? I was wondering if I was even making any progress at all. See, that's what Paul is saying He's, he's basically saying in this verse, he's saying, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he, he knows their life. He's, he's saying, hey, I can see God's hand in your life. How about this? Not just fruit, but gifts. Hey, I can see this. I'm preaching today because years ago I had people in a small group say, hey, you know what? You do pretty good at that. You're, you're a pretty good teacher. You know how to study the Bible. That was from the affirmation and confirmation of people within that group. Do you have people that come alongside of you and and, and speak those kind of things to you? You need that. You desperately need that. Are you close enough to people where they can affirm and confirm the gifts, the fruit in your lives, and the sacrifices that you make? So, gospel partnership. It's memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying, confidence-creating, builds confidence into us, and then it's affection Affection arousing. Look at verses seven through eight. It says, "It is right for me to feel this way about all you all, about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a sweet uh, phrase? There, the affection of Christ Jesus. That's an awesome phrase." The affection of Christ Jesus. Throughout Scripture, it talks about in, in Romans sixteen sixteen. it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You guys familiar with that? Greet each other with a holy kiss. And if you're charismatic, it's okay to use tongues. I had to say that. It was bad, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, I was, I just, sorry. I don't, I should have said that. I won't say that in the second service. Yeah, I will. Okay. Uh, but I mean, when you think about this, it's talking about the affection of Christ. It's talking about the affection of Christ. Now you guys won't get that out of your mind. Go, let's come, come back to what I was talking about. The love and the affection of Christ. What is the affection of Christ? Let me ask you this. How do you deal with the undesirable people, things, and circumstances? Paul's in a very undesirable circumstance, chained to a praetorian guard. These are pretty rough, tough guys. And I believe it was the affection of Christ that is living in the reality of how much God loves you, adores you, is fond of you, can't take his eyes and mind off of you. And, and these are relationships. When you have that affection of Christ working in your life, then you begin to, to speak into other people's lives that arouse that, that love and affection for Jesus in them, that you stir up greater appetite. You should live your life in such a way that it stirs up greater appetite for God and others. And then number six, it's God glorifying, verses 9 through 11. This is a great prayer. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And then he gives us, let me give you three fill-in-the-blanks here. It, your life is about, not about you, not about your glory, but it's about the glory of God. You don't go to the Grand Canyon to build your self-esteem. You go there to be, to enamor the glory and the beauty. And the same thing is, is it with God. We don't go to God to build our self-esteem. We go to see His beauty and His glory. And that does something to us. It transforms our life. And this is how it transforms our life. That your love may abound more and more, the idea with the word abound, it's like a river overflowing its banks, that you will experience so much of God's love that it will overflow your life. And then you will leave, live free of hypocrisy. There's no game playing. No mask wearing. You're open. You're honest. And once, as we said, that only to the degree that you are known is to the degree that you can be loved. And so there's that openness and honesty. And then the last one is you become a display case for God's grace. The people look at you, and, and they're attracted to God. God receives the glory. They see this, the weight, significance, importance of God in your life. I don't know if you've ever gone into a restaurant before. My wife and I were talking about this. Uh, it was a while back. We went into a restaurant, and they had a display case where they have food, but there were flies in there in the display case. Yeah, that's bad. So we turned around and walked out. And, uh, oh, I'm not going to eat any of that stuff. And it just didn't look very attractive, and God wants, to, wants us to live our lives in community in such a way that it would stir up greater appetite for God and the people that see us and how we, how we interact. A couple last uh, quotes here is that the church is to be a model of what the future society under Christ will look like. And we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the new heavens and the new earth. We, the church, are to give the world a foretaste of heaven so that they will have a taste for heaven and for the one that will be with us for all eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. We're going to take communion. And I want us to prepare our hearts for communion with this last statement by Tim Keller. Let me walk you through this. There is not a more beautiful sight or thought than that an infinitely perfect and happy being would descend into this world and sacrifice everything for ungrateful, undeserving human beings like us that an infinitely happy being who doesn't have to do it but would tear his life apart for us, if you even get a glimpse of the beauty of that, it will heal the diseases of your soul. It will free you to love everyone around you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to be passing out the communion elements in a moment. If you're not a believer, you can let it pass by. But if you'd like to become a believer this morning, put your faith in Jesus. You acknowledge your sin. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. Give him your life. Turn your life over to him. God, I pray that Desert Breeze would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ, that we would be a community that would put on display your glory and increase the appetite within others for more of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you receive the elements, just hang on to them, and then I'll walk you through the process as we take communion together this morning. and more that uh, the less that I I and you need friends, the less we're like God. God is all about community. And uh, when He's working in your life and you want to hang out with others and get to know others, it's just evidence that He's truly working. The, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, he, he kept saying this over and over again, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden He comes to this place and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And what's interesting about that is that's pre-fall. It's, it's, it's before the fall of mankind. And so what it's saying, that even in our perfect, our perfect state of how we were created, we were created in such a way that we, we need to connect with others. And the fall came, and what we did was, instead of getting closer to others as a result of our connection with God we tend to push away from others and we isolate ourselves and we do that out of uh, fear and pride a pride would say I don't need others I can do this on my own it would be just to show up to this weekend service and really not go take it any further not get involved in small groups and, and uh, really begin to do what the Bible says as it relates to fellowship I don't need that or fear would would say, it sounds something like this, it's like, wow, if they only knew, if they knew how messed up I am. And and yet the cross, as we take communion, um, we're reminded that through the cross that I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful Jesus had to die. That eliminates the pride. It, it reminds me, yes, I, I do need others in my life. I need that accountability. I need that encouragement from the outside of my life. I desperately need that. But, but the cross also says, not only am I more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I am more loved than I ever dared to dream because he loved me so much he wanted to die. And then that, that takes care of the, the fear in my life, and it gives me confidence so that I can get close to others. You can see how the cross really transforms our lives. And it eliminates this attitude of superiority. That would be that elder brother kind of uh, mindset in the prodigal son story, 15th chapter of, of Luke, where we're kind of we're, we're harsh on one another. We're hard. We think we're better than each other. Well, that eliminates that superiority. But it also eliminates inferiority that would cause us to draw back from others because it gives us a confidence so that we can get close. And, and as a result of that, we have a humble confidence. And it's seen in our, in our community and our sharing of our lives with one another in this gospel partnership. And so as we take communion here this morning, we're reminded that our Savior, your Savior, was crushed for you. He loves you. He loves you that much. He loved you that much. And, and when that ravishes your heart, it changes everything about how you deal with life. And that's why you can have this buoyancy in your life, regardless of what's going on, because it's based it's based on the pleasure you find in the eternal privileges you have in God, this deep, durable delight in the beauty and splendor of who Jesus is and what he's done that ruins you for anything else. So let's take the bread together today in remembrance of him. That same night he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. This represents his shed blood for us. Let's take that together in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the church there in Philippi this is a great prayer. If you don't know what to pray sometimes, this would be a great prayer to pray for those in your small group, within your family. And so I pray this prayer over you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you.